When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Hey! Great Shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Crack Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. It is finally time, folks. We are about 10 weeks away from the start of the 2022 college tennis dual match season. As such, it's time for us to begin our countdown of our top 10 teams heading into the 2022 season. Of course, this year, we've added a new wrinkle. We're previewing our top 10 on both the men's and women's side. We're also interviewing every Power 5 men's and women's tennis head coach. I will tell all of you listeners now, it is going to be an exciting series. I have had some fantastic conversations already. Cannot wait to share all of them with all of you. But of course, on this podcast, what are we doing? We're talking about our number 10 men's team heading into the 2022 dual match season. And joining me on the podcast to do just that are the two men who helped me preview just about every college tennis significant event. Let's start where we always start. You know him, former four-star recruit on TennisRecruiting.net. I can say this actually now. Your favorite writer on our website, CrackRackets.com, and, of course, the better half of Nick Stokowiak. It's Matt the Crack Stokowiak. Matty, hey, great shot. Those are words I have not said in far too long. It is good to see your face, my friend. Good to see you, man, for sure. Hey, I'm excited. Like, this is this is the part of the year that I know all of us, we really get pumped for because – we're starting the season, right? We get to preview these teams. It's going to be fantastic. Um, so I'm, I'm really looking forward to the next 10 weeks. And, and we got a good one today, too. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. And what's so fun about today's podcast in particular is we had open debate about the number 10 team entering the country. It took us about, I don't know, what do we do? An hour and a half or something like that? An hour. At a certain point, Maddie was like, look, we're not even hitting record. I'm bailing out of this conversation. You guys can't keep me here any longer. But we got into it about our top 10, and I want to have the outlines of that conversation, certainly what we were looking at, at the, for that number 10 spot and more broadly at these men's rankings uh, on today's show. But of course, before we can do that, we have to introduce the third member of our college tennis. I say holy trinity, but honestly, I'm fine replacing both of you guys with Jay moving forward. Now that said, joining us, of course, or at least this That's man. Quite the- I'll That's replace, quite the duet. Yeah, exactly. I'll replace this man with Jay, and we'll have a new Holy Trinity. I just – I feel like Holy Trinity doesn't work anymore because I want him to be included as well. So our our something quartet – we'll get there, but of course, you know this man as the forefather 
of the College Times Ranks Formula predictions. Never far from the listed UTR, one of the many dames to root for the Liberty Flames. Lover of mothers, lover of snitches. Uh, excuse me, lover of almond joys. He loves snitches too, but he's also the snitch. He's also the professor. He quotes Henry Ford II. He's a one-shouldered designer, and yeah, don't you dare not compliment his hair. It's Chris Halioris. Chris, hey, great shot. Welcome back to the show. How are you doing today? I am doing outstanding. So glad to see you guys and ready to talk some uh, some college tennis on a team we we haven't gotten to preview in the last couple of years, so it's going to be a fun one. Absolutely, and for those of you who have forgotten what our College Contender Series looks like, Maddie is going to write about each of these men's teams. Jay is going to write about each of the women's team for our website, CrackRackets.com. Then, again, Jay and I are going to talk about that corresponding team. Maddie, Chris, and I are going to talk about the corresponding men's team here on the Great Shot Podcast. You're going to get to hear interviews with head coaches from these schools. Now, normally for the men, Chris will be joining me. He was unable to with Kentucky head coach Cedric Coffin. I just gave away the ball game there. Sorry. Spoiler alert alert but uh again you can find all those podcasts on the cracked interviews podcast can find all of this content on our website crackrackets.com of course before we get into our number 10 team before we get into our discussion about who were our final contenders for the number 10 spot that kentucky ultimately beat out i do want to offer both of you because i haven't had you on the show in a while a chance to talk about both all american and fall nats results and obviously we're going to focus on the men here if you want to hear the complete fall Nats breakdown. I talked about it with Colette on Tuesday. I talked about it with Jay on Wednesday. But I'll start with you, Maddie. Shelton wins All-American. Holmgren finals All-American, wins the ITA Fall National event as well. We saw the rise of Clement Shedak. We saw the rise of Andre Illigan. Who are the standouts to you? What are the things you take away from the fall? Yeah, I mean, I'll try to keep this relatively brief, but man, August Holmgren just continues to impress. This mm-hmm. guy... I'm telling, and we've talked about him before on previous pods. And I remember saying how much he's improved because I remember watching him several years ago, three, four years ago. Mm-hmm. He was a shell of the player that he is now. I mean, mm-hmm. this is not the same guy. If I was him, I would just like be curious, throw my hat into the transfer portal and see how many <laughs> Power Five school. I mean, imagine. Who wouldn't want this guy to come in and play anywhere in your lineup at a Power 5 school? I mean, clearly he can play. He's got the game. He's good enough. Um, So I was super impressed with him, obviously, throughout this entire fall. Arthur Ferry, though, here at the the Fall Nats, that was good to see. We hadn't seen Arthur Ferry last year. Stanford didn't play a whole lot. We didn't get the full experience. For him to make the final in singles and doubles – That was a great sign for me for Stanford. That definitely stood out to me. And obviously in dubs, how about Ohio State again? I mean, Vossel and Cash. Okay, you lose McNally, right? Cash is a doubles partner. Insert Mate Vossel, and there's no drop-off. I mean, these guys roll through the fall. They're going to be a super dangerous team. So we're kind of seeing a a pattern right here, guys, Mm -hmm. like over and over throughout this fall, guys that are really playing well, and they're playing well for long stretches. It's not just one or two weeks. This is like months on end. So uh, those were the main things that I noticed. No, and for the record, Sebastian Ray, direct all hate mail at Matt Stack. Don't, not me. He said it, not me. Don't yell at Chris too. Uh, I didn't say it, but of course, uh, August wins in San Diego for the Fall Nats to do that for his school in his hometown, you know, the school's hometown, obviously 
what a special moment that is for the program. First title for the program since 1992. Shout out Jose Luis Noriega. But yeah, I, I, it's hard to dis, I don't disagree with any of your takeaways. Certainly, it did feel like the success we saw was real, particularly from Holmgren, for him to do it back-to-back. My one thing I would throw at you before I come to you, Chris, and then I have one takeaway for both of you guys. Does Holmgren have the best serve plus one forehand in all of college tennis? Because that was the differentiating thing, and Colette brought up this point when we were talking about it, and I thought it was brilliant. Yes, we were without the top 10 ranked men at the fall Nats, but only Holmgren really had that serve, that forehand that stood out from the rest of the field where you're like, that's a pro weapon. And it helps that he's a fifth-year senior, of course. But, I mean, Kingsley's in the mix. Adrian would like a conversation with us. But August is right there. He's up there. But look, man, my God, come on. Mr. Seaball, yeah, Hitball, Adrian Poitain no wants a word yeah. with you, Gruskin. <laughs> I mean, let's, right. let's be honest here. Look, August Holmgren, I, I have nothing to pick apart with his game. His serve, four, plus one, everything's good. But, but man, I mean, to say that he's at the top of that list, I'm not going to go that far, man. You know I got to roll with my guy, Adrian. Would you hear him as top five part of the conversation? Um... I'd have to think about it. I mean, off the top of my head here, without going through and, and really picking it apart, um, I don't know for sure. But I mean, he'd be up there some, yeah. somewhere. I don't. I don't know though if I would say top five. I mean, I could yeah. probably rattle off five guys. You know, right? Yeah, exactly. No, I mean, again, Kingsley, Adrian, certainly yeah. on that short list. You know, Draxel's not a serve plus one forehand sort of guy. That's why I bring it up in. You know, yeah, he's not. Ferry's a little more well-rounded than that, and Sam Riffis isn't a surplus-one guy, and Walton and Joe. It, I just think August is in that conversation with just about anyone. Chris, where are you on these things, and obviously any takeaways you had from the fall? Yeah, no, I think uh, yeah. I, my first thought as soon as you said that was there's there's no way I'm putting him in front of Adrian. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's got to be the number one surplus. Or plus Ben. How about Ben I mean, freaking Shelton, who was like, yeah, you're right, that's another one. Yeah. yeah, just still not quite the bottom. I mean, it's big, big. I still wouldn't go with the bottom. I mean, you just – both guys, huge power. But, I mean, the size of Adrian I, on top of it. I mean, it's, you know, yeah. you, you, you stick a kid that's – I don't even know what Ben is, but he's he's probably taller than he looks just because he's he's slighter. But Adrian's huge. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so, yeah, I think uh, – and, and, you know, to counter Maddie's point, uh, I would first – never ever ever do that to my guy Seb I would actually say any of you guys out there that want to play with him and get your name in the portal contact Seb after you do so <laughs> and they will be happy to talk to you I'm sure uh, <laughs> hey uh, I'm not saying that he needs to transfer I, I, was, I was joking around I know. I know that's not gonna happen but you guys know you oh. could see him. You could see him on on an elite squad, and he could he could excel. This is going to be one of our bits throughout the year. So listeners, be ready. He would look great in Baylor Bear Green for a year. No, no doubt about that. That's just all the any player who. And by the way, we say this from a spot of love, and I think Coach Woodson is well aware of that fact. And by the way, it's the ultimate compliment. Um, but yeah, he'd do great for a year at Baylor for sure. Right? It was yeah, great. It was funny. I agree. Yeah. Actually, as Maddie said that, I, I was I was hearkening back to, and I don't think we've talked about it since uh, since our last recording. The fact that two years in a row now, Florida has announced 
a next season transfer before I, this season has even started. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's and by the way, it's the second year. Last year was Ciamaro from Notre Dame. This year, you know, for it to be Axel Neve, who by the way is gonna be playing number one for them. And let's be clear, he's transferring to Florida for the graduate degree, but good call, Chris. I mean, I'm talking about this with all of these power five coaches. The next it's it's two more years of this. Two more years where even up to December it's gonna be a rat race. And by the way, it's not January until we get our December surprise from Tony Bruschi. So let's be clear, we're all still on standby for that. Um, but no, that's a, that's a good point, Chris. And even in these past few months, we've had, you know, since Bicknell, we've had more transfers announced, and we've had obviously more recruits to Baylor and all these different things. And we'll touch about on all of them over the next ten weeks. But again, I didn't mean to cut you off. You're that's a very good point, Chris. Yeah, no, I think. Uh, but I mean, that's as far as I was going there. I, I think as far as the uh you know the other things that have happened we talked about all americans uh fr- from the fall nats yeah i think uh, obviously super super impressed with holmgren we've had this debate many times and, and i had kept wanting to say I- i'll go with steph but there's no way you can argue that it's you know that the, your your number one guy out west now is is holmgren and and i think the the intriguing thing to me is Oh, you know, all three of us, for the most part, you know, have lived east of the Mississippi. So we all have that East Coast bias, like probably <laughs> 80% of the United States does, right? And now we've got in Holmgren and and Shedeck from Washington, right? And then and so some of the top guys in the game out there where we don't really get to see them as much. Uh, you know, we have to go online because we're not out, you know, we're not in that proximity to, to see them play any matches. So... Uh, I, it's going to be an interesting year see it, seeing that. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. And again, we talked about the standouts with Jay, so I don't need to repeat myself here. But Pepperdine had a good fall. Like, there's some depth there. you got to keep an eye on them. And them in San Diego, that's a fun race in the WCC. And just, you know, again, obviously you mentioned it, the Ohio State doubles. Like, they've solved that. And what do they do with Tracy? Like, can you play Tracy lower than three? These are all things we're going to explore. And, you know, again, the depth for Kentucky. We're going to get into that today. All these different storylines were fascinating for us uh, to watch. By the way, and Westoff will choose whether to quack this out or not. But I feel like when you say, I have East Coast bias, Chris, that you're just calling me um, But, you know, that's uh, – <laughs> Westoff definitely quack out what I said he's calling me. Um, But, yeah, that's a joke for us to enjoy. We're back. We're back. Oh, it's good to have you guys. And, again, I think I've done seven coaching interviews today, so I am loopy. I am ready to have some fun. But last question to you. Did you feel like you were missing anything without the top ten guys in college tennis competing at this fall Nats and just you know we didn't see so many of them at the All-American I actually really liked it because it gave us a chance to remember oh yeah like Ferry's on the rise here Tracy's on the rise and this is my takeaway to you guys the last thing and then we'll move on to Kentucky how f***ing good is this sophomore class like I'm thinking about all the guys we forgot to mention Chris you know who we left out of your list and by the way thanks for citing me in that poll um but you know who we sorry you know I don't have any pettiness towards that, Chris that, that would have been more blaming you for the omission of Ben Shelton <laughs> or Micah Braswell we didn't mention Braswell like Braswell was so good last year it's like oh yeah we didn't even mention him and like the doc and you know again Rodash Montez just Tracy up and down the board everywhere you look Strom and Monday and just oh my gosh is this sophomore class very 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 impressive and so that was one of my takeaways because Ferry's here 
Boyer, I think, is going to be better as well. And if you've seen some of his results, he's getting better. I talked to Brasky today, and he's like, trust me. Tachi and Maroney were set up to fail last season. Like, they are going to be as good as advertised. Just keep the faith alive. But, yeah, it was it was a fun fall because we got the chance to just sort of, you know, sift those sorts of things out. I mean, again, uh, last things to you guys, I suppose. This sophomore class, Maddie, they are that good. Oh, yeah. No, there's no question. I mean, we could rattle off, I mean, 10 different guys. It's it's great because now, we, I mean, we know we're going to get to see them for a few more years, you know, barring, you know, them turning professional or whatever. But uh, most of these guys hopefully we'll get to see for at least a few more years, and it just makes college tennis better. But I do want to address your other question quick here, Gruskin, about the top 10 guys not necessarily playing. There's two ways to look at it, right? I mean, the one, the one side of me goes – yeah, it's a little disappointing they're not in there. You want to see the best of the best compete all the time. I mean, I think we can all agree on that. It would have been fun if they were there. But like you said, on the flip side, this gave us an opportunity to see some of these other guys. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, in itself was was a lot of fun to watch. So, I mean, there's two sides of it. Yeah, a little disappointing that not everybody was playing. Sure. But you know, look at the positives, and we got to see some really good tennis and some other players step up. So I, I was good with it. Chris, last word to you. Yeah, no, I pretty much echo Maddie's sentiment there. Yes, a little disappointed. I mean, you really want to see the guys like Draxel, like Shelton, like Riff is in there playing. But at the same time, you know, what what happens if a guy like Shedek, who, you know, we were not even all yeah. that familiar with, ends up drawing one of them in a first-round match, and let's say he loses, and we never even give him a set, you know, again, he's off our radar because we're just not that familiar. And, you know, that, you know, that allowed us to get more looks at some of these guys and go, wow, we, you know, we're missing some of this. So uh, I think that it's good from that perspective. Clement Shedek, also sneakily a second year player. Just throw him onto that list of second years where it's just like, yeah, because he first year counted overseas. He's technically, technically listed a as junior, a junior, but second but, year yeah. of actually playing college tennis. So I'm not going to throw away the year of eligibility. I think that's nonsense. And so again, yeah, that class, I think that's the best we have right now in men's college tennis. But with that said, let's get into our college contender series. And of course, again, We're breaking down the top 10 teams in our minds entering the season. Of course, we are open to hear all disagreement from all of you listeners. I'm sure we will as well. What we're going to do on today's podcast, we're going to recap their 2021 season. We're going to talk about the returning members of the roster, the newcomers as well. We'll let Chris geek out with his possible lineups. Of course, we'll play off of that as well. I also am going to do a new segment in these podcasts moving forward. I'm going to offer you all a hot take about the team. I'm going to say more likely this or that scenario. See where you guys weigh in on that. We'll go from there to the conference outlook, talking about the schedule, offer our predictions as well. I'm going to rely on both you listeners and you, Maddie, to tell me when I've hit eight quarterfinals teams because I'm thinking there's about 14 of them on my preseason list. With all of that said, before we talk Kentucky, let's talk about who just missed out on this list. And again, 45 minutes, an hour. Like, trust me when I say, I know, and it's not just like an hour, by the way, of us talking and being like, whatever. There's plenty of research that goes into before that hour and just fleshing it out and looking at it from every angle. And, you know, again, 
we weren't sure Kentucky was going to be the team out of the SEC. We had three SEC schools we were circling, and we thought about, for this one, making it a gimmick and saying Maddie presents uh, Georgia and Chris presents uh, South Carolina, and I'll make the Kentucky case because I kind of drove you guys to this number 10 position. So, you know, right off the bat, Georgia, South Carolina, selfishly I'll throw Michigan on that list as well. I would say... Wake, Wake Forest, of course, has to be there also. Am I missing anyone, Maddie? Who else is on that short list for you? No, I think I think those were the schools that we were really debating. It really came down to that third SEC team, uh, right, where we were mm-hmm. looking at uh, Kentucky, Georgia, or South Carolina. And I, I mean, I think you know, all of them were worthy. I I wouldn't say that you necessarily swayed us into it. We all voted, right? We all had (laughs) our votes and it just shook out this way. So, um, you know, I have no problem with it. The SEC, we know how good the SEC is and it is tough once you get past a couple of those super elite teams, right? Which Florida, Tennessee lock. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we'll preview them later. We'll get to those, to those guys. But um, once you get past that, man, it is tough because the SEC, Chris knows. I mean, you guys know that it is such a difficult conference to play in. So, um, you know, I think all of those teams have a chance to, you know, be in the top 10. Wake Forest and, yeah, no, I mean, they – we'll see how it shakes out. But you, I'm well, good with our rankings. You're our ACC guy, and Chris, I promise I'm coming to you back. But I, where are you on Wake? Because, obviously, you look at the roster, they have 10 guys – who would go undefeated four through six and you just like feel really good about the depth on the roster at the same time it's like well once you actually put the four next to their name I don't know if that you know they're feel good again there and we don't know exactly are they going to get Squire back maybe maybe not it's still up in the air where are you on them yeah I mean because they were our biggest miss last season no right and and I was under the assumption that Squire was gone that's Mm -hmm. kind of the way that I'm viewing this and I just Mm -hmm. think that's a huge loss I mean you're talking about your best player your number one guy professional level player um and and for me Wake you know it's tough because we always talk about the depth right I feel like over the last three years Mm -hmm. all we've talked about is Wake and depth Wake depth and it's like all right well what has it gotten them over the last couple of years it hasn't really gotten them all the way to the end. So while you bring up their depth, you need strength at the top of the lineup as well. Mm-hmm. I am very excited to see Wake as every year. I mean, I'm always excited to watch Wake Forest. You know, Coach Bresky does a great job. I mean, it's always interesting watching his teams play. I am just not comfortable at this moment. I feel better about putting in, you know, a third SEC team, I think, at this moment. And again, this could change if we get another month or two down the road. Maybe my feelings will will be different. But right now, I have Wake just outside of that top 10, um, you know, creeping up there. Chris? Yeah, I think the, the issue with Wake, right, We and, and I'm, I'm always the guy that tends to be high on teams that have incoming guys and potential. And it, it just, it never seems to fail that, it, it takes a year for that to set in the, you know, guys just freshmen have a problem just coming in and being huge impacts right away, which we even saw with Wake last year. I mean, Tachi and Maroney weren't what they needed them to be last year to put them where they needed to be this year. It's Karamov. They've got Karamov coming in. And the thing is there, they probably need him. He's got to be playing one or two. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. you're looking at, you're looking at probably he and Nava, at one or two and Kungu at three. I mean, so we've talked about all these years where they've been super, super deep and they have, but when they haven't been able to do it, 
with the likes of Botzer and company at the top. And now you're going to say, well, take a top three other than Nava, who was there last year. But the other two guys, you're going to have two guys having to play top three that haven't at all and have your same sort of depth that you had before. Yeah, it's tough. I, I, we know we could be a year early still. I mean, he's he's got depth galore, but does he well, have the top? I don't know. And here's the thing, guys, about Wake as well. The ACC is a little bit more wide open this year. I, mm-hmm. I think they will still do very well. I am comfortable slotting them in there at the number two ACC team yep. behind – you know UVA who will well, we can say it. it's open except for Virginia it's like Virginia right. and then it's not Virginia UNC and Wake this year although if UNC gets Rinky back we'll reevaluate yeah, that conversation well, but right. I agree with you I think this it's the first time in a while that it since you know 17 oh even 17 though by that time Fisokos is there and North Carolina is really good first time since like 12 13 that it just feels like Virginia dropping everyone else yeah yeah. I agree. I no, do. I, and, and that's where I think Wake will still have a great season because they're going to win almost all of their ACC sure. matches. I mean, yep. they're going to be up there. It's just a matter of when we get down to it and we get to the round of 16 of the NCAA tournament or the quarterfinals, are they going to have the goods to go all the way? I'm not I'm not convinced. Well, it sucks for them because they're going to lose their first match kickoff weekend in Michigan. So, like, that's a tough place to start 0-1 from there. And then there you, you, go. you figure out the rest of the season. Um Chris, I, again, if you have anything else to wake uh, to add on the wake side, please let me know. But I do want to flush this out because you're our SEC correspondent. We went Kentucky over South Carolina and Georgia. Now, we'll get into the merits of Kentucky. But talk me through, you know, again, ultimately, and I know you're speaking for the three of us here, but why might we have Georgia and South Carolina a bit lower than those other two? It's the, is it the unknown? Is it the depth? What is it? Yeah, I think, well, the interesting thing is I think all three of us had them in a different order. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and I think all three of us had a different team first. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it was kind of the consolidated view that that ended up uh, where we did. But, yeah, I think so. So, yes, it's more the fact that Kentucky, for the most part, is a dead solid known factor. I mean, mm-hmm. you're bringing in Musatelli. But it's not like you don't know what you're getting. He played college last year. And you're bringing Mercer in, who might play singles, but he's definitely going to play doubles. Uh, And everything else is what you had last year. So it's a known factor. When we look at the other teams, you you look at a Georgia, you've got Georgia bringing in Hamish Stewart, bringing in Tristan McCormick, neither one of which has jumped out and made you go, wow, they're going to be great this year with those guys. I mean, they're they're very talented guys they haven't had tremendously you know awesome falls so there's a little bit of an unknown there and obviously they lost tyler zinc so uh so so yeah a little bit of an unknown there and really the same on the south carolina side with south carolina you're bringing in james story from memphis highly touted junior their number one player hasn't lit it up this fall if you will uh and then you kind of have a almost a carryover from last year of which version of Raphael Lambling do we get? Yeah. Uh, you know, he was great for, you know, his, you know, at the beginning of his career faded last year, started to come on a little bit at the end, but, but I don't know where we stand with, you know, where he's going to be uh, in terms of form when the season comes. So you got a little bit of an unknown there too. Kentucky, you just know what you've got. Mm-hmm. I, I think all that's fair. And, 
this gets us to Kentucky here uh, and talking about why we have them number 10 because you talk about the known quantities. I also think they add in unknown quantities as well. You talk about the transfers coming in to not only shore up the bottom of the lineup but perhaps fill the gaps we saw from them in the 2021 season. And when you look at the Kentucky 2021 season, I mean, unequivocally, it was a step forward for this group. Now, of course, Kentucky's a team we have had uh, seen have plenty of success throughout college tennis history. And is Eric Quigley actually the most underrated player in college tennis history? I could make a very convincing argument. The answer is yes. Just again, if you want wins, you want Eric Quigley in your lineup. And just again, and that's most modern college tennis uh, memory. And Will, how do I say his last name? Boo, 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 boo. I don't, oh, I don't want to... Bushamuka. Bushamuka. Bushamuka, thank you. Exactly. And so, uh, again, there have been plenty of guys. Anthony Rossi was pretty Tom damn good. Tom Jombie. Tom Jombie. Thank you. Again, you can throw all the names out. Cedric Kaufman. Yeah. Um, but no, they've had plenty of talent uh, throughout the years. You look for them last season, 19-8 and eight overall. And, of course, that was led at the top of the lineup. Number one singles, Liam Draxel, highly touted recruit entering college. He performed in his first full season, 21-2 overall for the Wildcats at the number one singles position. Of course, he ends up making semifinals of the NCAA tournament as well as he was the number one seed at the event. But what was so impressive was just at the top of the lineup. We knew Draxel was going to be good. Did we expect Diallo to go 12 and 6 at number 2 and for the team to go 17 and 7 at number 2 overall? Probably not. 17 and 6 at the number 3 singles position, 12 and 3 from Millen Hurion? Probably not. We talk about match calculus all of the time on this podcast. Kentucky had a match calculus last year, guys. It was 1 two, three, find one more. And again, you look for them over the course of a 19 and eight season. They got a bunch of impressive wins over the course of the year. You look at, you know, for them in particular, what they're able to do and, you know, a couple of tight four, three matches at Georgia, at Tennessee. They then beat South Carolina four, two at home, five, two win over a round of 16 team in Ole Miss, four, a win over Mississippi State. And just, you look for them overall, they go, I believe 16 and one at home last season that one loss coming to Arizona in the NCAA second round for two when you look at what the Wildcats did last season Maddie with the talent they had on their roster of course hindsight's 2020 and that's what we're analyzing this with but was last year an overperformance underperformance or what did you expect because to me I did not expect this Kentucky team. Like, had they gotten to the Sweet 16, they could have played Baylor the way, or excuse me, Tennessee, the way Arizona played Tennessee. And I think they would have been right in there in the mix with all those other teams. Yeah, well, and that's why I would say it definitely wasn't an overachieving season. I mean, they had a good year, but I think we all we expect this team to be pretty darn good. I mean, we're talking about one of the better SEC schools in the country year in and year out. So I don't think they overperformed. If anything, I think they're going to look back on it and go, shoot, guys, you know, we lost it. We lose to A&M in the quarters of the SEC tournament. We lose at home to Arizona in, you know, the second round of, you know, the NCAA tournament. Now, those aren't bad losses, right? A&M was a fantastic team last year. You know, Arizona was outstanding. So it's not like those are bad losses. But again, when you've got guys like Draxel leading the way and, and Diallo <laughs> the way that he was playing and an experienced Millen Hurry and like all these guys, you know, they 
they wanted more. I mean, I guarantee you that they did not end last season satisfied whatsoever. Now, I do think the way that it ended with that loss at home, and then for these guys to be able to go see Arizona, what they did against Tennessee, which you referred to, Gruskin, I think that might fuel these guys in this season because, like you said, we're bringing almost everybody back. We've got a couple of uh, transfers joining the party. But, yeah, I I mean, it was a good season for them. Not great. I wouldn't say great. I would just say it was a it was a good, solid season from Kentucky. Had they taken one of those Georgia Tennessee matches, had they beaten Arizona, I agree with you. I think that would have been the litmus test for what was a great season. Now yep. that said, and you talk about the chip on their shoulder this team may have entering twenty twenty two, this team doesn't need an extra chip on their shoulder. This team brings the energy in each and every match they play, and I know, Chris, you've gotten the chance to see them in person, and obviously, if you have Liam Draxel at number one, that energy, it trickles the rest of the way down. And it was funny talking to Coach Kaufman. He played Draxel and Hurry on together, and he was like, okay, maybe that was a little bit too much. Like, probably shouldn't have both of those guys on the same court. That said, Chris, again, a 19-8 and relatively young team they had there was just there was that it quality about them it felt like a building season and yeah the Arizona loss was disappointing but that almost feels like the lump you take in a program story where it's like that we lost there we realized we got a little excited we got a little bit over you know over uh over into it whatever and now we refocus here and we know what it takes to you know we know the maturity it needs on top of that energy to win these late stage matches I just think last season was the perfect sort of experience you need for this Kentucky team to make a break here in 2022. Yeah. I mean, it was, it it was kind of the, that second for a lot of those guys, the second year step forward. uh, Mm -hmm. And and like Maddie said, I think, you know, it'd be, it'd be tough to say that probably to to Cedric's face, but historically (laughs) the, the Kentucky teams have underachieved. They've had some great teams recently. When you've got guys like Trey Yates playing five singles, right? I mean, you've got a very, very, very good team, and they just haven't put it together. And last year was kind of the first – it was. It seemed like the first step to where they got to where they at least performed at. You know, you, it, wasn't an, it wasn't a big underachieve year. They got to where, hey, we knew they'd be good, maybe even thought they could have been – they could have gone gone better, but it was. I mean, that's the talent we knew they had, and now this year, definitely, it's a uh, we. You definitely don't expect them bowing out uh, in the round of sixteen this year. You fully expect them to be in the final sixteen and battling for you know battling for a host spot. If we're back to the to the top eight yeah. host, the next eight site type thing that we should be back to this year. And of course, that would be critical for them. One loss last year at home and. You know, again, this gets us to the returning roster. We talk about the newcomers as well. Of course, it started with Liam Draxel. And, I mean, when we measure forces at the top of the lineup, of course, the numbers speak for themselves. 21-2 and two at the number one singles position. My question to you, Maddie, do you consider him a lock at one? Because if Kentucky is going to make a quarterfinal, they need him to be the number one player in the nation. And to his credit— Liam Drexel has been that guy thus far through his college career. Where are you with his game? 
Yeah, no, I do consider him a virtual lock. Let's just say you said 21 out of 23 wins, right? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not good at math, but that is a 91% <laughs> win percentage. So over 90%, yeah, I consider that a virtual lock. Now, of course, there's guys, right, that he may face especially in the postseason that are going to be able to match him. I mean, we've got, you know, there's a, there's a list of five, six guys that can be up there, but no, for, for, for my, the way that I look at it, Liam Draxel could very well be the best player in college tennis. There Mm -hmm. is no question to me. He could be that guy. Now there's a handful of other guys in that conversation, but he's one of them. So yes, I consider him a lock. He's going to win a boatload of matches again this year, and he's going to lead the way. He has to. Mm-hmm. There's also a reason he's coming back. He loves the dual match format. He oh, loves yeah. hand in a glove in terms of competing in college tennis. And you know, to look more broadly here, Chris, obviously for Draxel, it's funny because he has the serve of a guy who would have a huge serve plus one sort of game and he can do those sorts of things and I actually think he's a good volleyer and then it's also funny because in reality the match hasn't started till he's dropped the first set and we're going two and a half hours with Liam Draxel it's his physicality in the end that stands out for him but you know again it's the contrast for me of the top three at number one you get Draxel at two you get Diallo six seven big serve big forehand more traditional game a guy I know coach Kaufman thinks is just beginning to tap into the potential with his frame and then of course Hurion who's kind of again the off-speed pitcher the Tim Wakefield in this rotation who's just you know throwing some knuckleballs at you absorbing redirecting He's got the jack sock body where it's like you don't think he's particularly fast and then it's he is going to track down that ball and he's got the good first step. Obviously the numbers Chris suggested this top 3 was elite last season. 21 and 2 at 1, 17 and 7 at 2, 17 and 6 at 3. When you look at them coming into this season because of course depth and strength at the top of the lineup all these things are emphasized while we're in these covid times while there are five class of high school graduates. Do, do you feel Dra- – again, one more year experience. Draxel, Diallo, Hurion is – and we're not talking about the bottom of the lineup yet. But is that going to be the strength it was for this team last year when they're going up against, you know, a year more experienced Vale, Riffis, and, and uh, Shelton and, you know, the Ohio State of Kingsley, Votzel, Tracy, and Virginia sophomores and all these things – was I don't want to say wasn't an overperformance last year, but do you think this top three can sustain it this year? Because obviously that was the key last year. Yeah, I mean I do, but I think that that's where it, it's it's so hard to find a, a battle for them in the SEC. Obviously Florida. I mean you're going to take the top three uh, probably uh, from Florida just because the the depth even the three you could pick any one of them at three and that's you're going to pick that person over hurry on every time and then if you say okay we split the top two you get you go advantage florida but but yeah kentucky's going to have the advantage in the top three against almost everybody the question is when it comes to those elite teams when we start talking now hey let's say you make the quarterfinals you get to uh you know into that into that round of eight there and now you're playing another team with a top three as good as you and four, five, six really matter. That's, that's where it, that's where it really comes down uh, to what matters. But yeah, I think Drax, you know, your, your analogies were great. And I think to the casual observer, the way I've described Drax's game, he's the most impressive, unimpressive guy you've ever seen. (laughs) If you're a casual observer and you don't understand the skill it takes 
to play defense and not just get to that ball deep in the corner, but put it back deep in the other corner, Mm -hmm. all the while not hitting the ball all that hard or killing it and looking like, hey, maybe I, looking like you don't have a weapon and then just playing defense until they give you an opening and then taking advantage. You know, that's Draxel's game. He counter punches like you wouldn't believe. Uh, And and yeah, he's, you know, it takes, it's gonna take somebody to hit him off the court. You're not going to out grind that guy. I mean, it just, it doesn't happen. There will be a tweet for me probably tomorrow, maybe later tonight, where you know like the tweet format where it's the shaking hands in the middle and it's like one thing, one thing, bottom thing. It looks like the Brainiac symbol. Shout out Superman. <laughs> um, it's, I want to do Alexa Noel, Liam Draxel way better than they look. And it's just like that's the shaking hands because it's like to your point, Chris, everything you just said about Draxel, I know the fall mats are fresh on my mind and you're wearing an Iowa shirt, which is biasing me right now. But like – you're right. That's such a good way of putting it. I, I That's really, really well said. And, of course, again, we know what the top three is capable of. The question for this team and its ceiling moving forward is, again, the unknowns. And I think that's why we're all so high on this team because when you look to those unknowns, there are solutions there for Kentucky to fill what weren't necessarily problems last season but what are the difference between being good and being elite. And you look at the numbers – 14-11 at 4, uh, 13-7 and seven at 5, 10-10 ten ten at 6. They had six different players play at number 5 singles during the course of the year. Six different players play at number 6 singles during the course of the year. That tells you a team that's looking for solutions. And you said you wouldn't say this to Coach Kaufman's face. I already said it to Coach Kaufman's face. And it's just, again, what, you know, looking for the guys to fill that gap. Of course, you go by record last season – I mean, Lapidot was six and nine. He returns. Yashizema was seven and six. He returns. You know, LeBlanc five and five, but no clear cut answers from the numbers. That gets us into projecting. And I'll start with you here, Maddie. I don't want to bias you with my name, so I'll just ask you who are the names you're looking for to fill in the bottom of the lineup and how do they compete nationally? Yeah, I mean, I think, Gruskin, we do need to see some improvements Mm -hmm. from guys that you just mentioned, like Zemmel, like LeBlanc. Mm -hmm. Um, A guy like J.J. Merster coming in, I think, needs to take a step forward if he wants to play singles. Um, Lapidot, I mean, he's going to be in there. I'm not too worried about him. Uh, Mm -hmm. Musatelli, I think, will be a good addition in there as well. We know what we're going to get with him because he's played college tennis. I mean, he's going to be able to hang, I think, in the lower portion of the lineup for sure. Um, you know, as far as that goes, I mean, you know, four, five, six, I look at a guy like Lapidot, I look at Musatelli, who I think for sure is going to be in there. And, you know, at six, it could be a little bit of a revolving door again. I mean, I hate to say that that's not good for Kentucky. They're going to want to find somebody that can really step up in that spot, whether it's Zemmel, whether it's uh, LeBlanc, whether it's JJ Mercer. I mean, I don't know. One of those guys has to step up, though, because you got to win matches at six. I mean, we talked last year about, I mean, some of the best guys that we were, we kept mentioning were playing number six that didn't lose. Look at Florida, look at Baylor. The teams that made it deep had incredible number six players. So Mm -hmm. I think Kentucky has to, they've got to make some improvements there. But I look for guys like Lapidot, you know, four, five, six, Lapidot, Musatelli, and, uh, you know, Zemmel, you know, sprinkle in LeBlanc a little bit. That's what I'm thinking. Tennessee, Wiedemann, and uh, Hussey. Baylor, Stokowiak, Broom, Furman. 
Yeah. Florida, Shelton, Bicknell, Gujar. Yes. That was your, like, again, nail, head, hit it. I agree with you. That is the difference. And so for this team, and talking to Coach uh, Kaufman and having gotten to see them compete both at the Fall Nats and down in Knoxville for the Knoxville Showdown, or I apologize if I've forgotten the name at this point, Lapidot's the one to circle. Because, you know, lefty, a guy who plays an aggressive game style, a guy who wants to move forward. He had, you know, six foot one uh, sophomore. He has the profile of a number four singles player. And if you can get away with throwing someone like Musatelli, who played number one at Old Dominion, like let's not throw away that sort of experience. You can get him at five and six. You just, you're not going to lose it on that court right away. Like again, if you lose it two and a half hours later, well, you lost a two and a half hour college tennis match. So be it. But if you can throw him at five, and then honestly, dart on the dartboard. I think Zemmel's your classic number six player. And just like, right, Maddie, I see you shaking your head. Yeah, but he's got to improve. I mean, his numbers last year, and I know he was I, he was young, right? Yeah. I, if, if he can take a jump, right? We always talk about that jump between your freshman and sophomore season. If he can make a little bit of a leap, then yes, he's the guy I think that you want playing there at six. But if he doesn't, you may have to turn to one of these other guys that can play. But what they the thing is they have guys. So let's say we're indoors. I'm playing six foot five Alex LeBlanc. I'm yeah. playing, you know, JJ Mercer on an indoor court. You feel good about his variety on that surface. If we're outdoors, again, we go with the grinder. We bring in the Zemo. It's just you're you know, or Sorbo or just something like that, Chris. I just feel like what's so exciting is even with the question marks, there are fun answers to those questions. The players are there from a talent perspective, it's just like, okay, can you perform with the back against the wall? Yeah, I think it's it's looking for somebody to step up, right? I mean, they, they basically have the same <clears throat> lineup, if you will, when you consider that they they graduated Bourgeois, but they bring in Musatelli. So you kind of, you swap there, you still basically have the same questions at five or six and the same guys with the exception of the addition of J.J. Mercer. So now it's a question of, hey, I've got, I mean, I think Lapidot plays for sure. I mean, he's he's in there. So it's really yes. just down to who's playing six or even if five, six are swapped, who's the sixth guy? Musatelli and Lapidot are playing. Right. Is Zemmel playing? Is Mercer playing? Zemmel has huge upside. The kid can, I mean, he's got some great wins. Yeah. The problem is he can throw some really bad losses in there too. And, you know, when you get to big time college tennis and you look at the the you know the teams that do well what do they want at 6 they the, they want their guy at 1 yeah exactly the guy at 1 might be your hit or miss guy the guy at 6 better just be rock solid and that's not Zemmel's game right now so you know that it might be more down Mercer style I don't know or like you said it could be Jonathan Sorbo it could be Alexander LeBlanc they got a bunch of guys they just need one of them to step up and be, you know, not the, hey, I can play a great match and then I can lose to a guy that I shouldn't lose to the next week. They need the guy that can be, I'm going to put it all out there and we're going, you know, we're going at least three sets and solid every time. Obviously, nobody's going to win every match, but uh, but yeah, that's Well, that's, that's Musatelli, isn't it? Like, that's Musatelli for them. You get the fifth-year graduate, Old Dominion, who's played top of the lineup He's got to be that guy where it's like, hey, we need the three-hour performance. I mean, because Drexel's always he, that guy. But he has to play four for them. 
Does he? Like, I'm telling you, lop it out four is the play. I think you that's could play lop. I, you, I'm, 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 I'm okay with that. But I think okay. between lop it out and Musatelli, that's four or five. Okay. I, I mean, that's that, that's my guess, right? That's four or five, and now it's just who's playing six, and you just need mm-hmm. somebody to be very, very solid for you at six, and, and you'd like to avoid it being, you know, the rotating chairs. Sure, you can play it by game style, right? You can go week by week, which some of the coaches will do if guys are that close for hey, we're playing these two guys this week. That's a better matchup for JJ than it is for for Zemmel. So we play him. Next week, we play Zemmel because it's good for him. The next week, it's LeBlanc. You know, But in a, in a perfect world, you just got a guy that's rock solid at six, and that's what you have every week. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. And, of course, again, 4-5-6, 14-11, and 13-7, and 10-10 and last year. That's one spot for us to watch. The other is obviously doubles. And I talked about this with Coach Kaufman. If Kentucky goes up 1-0, now it's a whole new ball game because finding three wins against them, okay, you see a path. Finding four, now things get particularly tricky, especially that means you probably got to take two of the three, of the top three, and that's just extraordinarily hard to do against this lineup. Now, you look for the roster last season, 16-5 and five at the number two doubles position. They figured out one flight. The problem is 14-9 and nine at number one, they lose half of that duo. You keep Diallo, you lose Caesar. Uh, 11 and 13 at three doubles. That means you're a couple guys short in your doubles lineup. Now, the addition of Mercer helps. And by the way, he and Musitelli have looked good this fall. With that pairing, you then have a floating Diallo, a floating Hurrion, and a floating Draxel. I don't care if you just throw Draxel out there at number three doubles. You feel like you have the best player on the court now in every number three double set you play. It's from the Ty Tucker School of Thought, obviously. This is another thing, Maddie. They struggled at doubles last year. There are pieces there this year. How confident are you in they? Yeah, I, I agree. They're, the pieces are there. I mean, I think the additions of Mercer and Musatelli are going to be huge. Both of those guys, in my opinion, are for sure going to be playing dubs. They, they mm-hmm. just have to, you know, with with the roster, the way that it's set up. Um they do need to make improvements in doubles, like you said, and I, I think they will. They they can. Um you know, it's just going to be a matter of getting some chemistry. And like you said, over the fall, you know, Mercer and Musatelli, those guys have been playing. So that's good news. Or I think Draxel. it's Mercer and Lapidot. I may be off. Uh, yeah, yeah, I was going to wait for that. But no, yeah, I knew Mercer it as I said it. And I can hear okay. Coach Gordon yelling at me. But that duo, it can play. But all they these lost guys, one match right? all fall. Yeah. They, right. That, that's what I'm saying. So this is huge for them. I mean, these are the types of results that we've been wanting to see for Kentucky doubles. Draxel can play with whoever. I, I think he's... He's pretty adaptable. He could yep. play with Hurrian. He could play with Diallo. I don't think that matters. They'll figure that out. Um, but if they can get, you know, those two other teams, yes, I do think Kentucky will be able to compete a little bit more in doubles than they have to. That is a big difference. Chris, same thing. Give me your teams. Give me, you know, where you're at with their doubles, who you think it ends up as. And honestly, we're ready for it. Give me the Chris Hallier's first of the season. West off some sort of sound effect probably necessary, but – Give me the lineup calculus from the professor's angle. Yeah, well, I think we talked, you know, obviously we talked singles. You got the top three. You got Draxel, Diallo, Hurrian. I say four or five. We probably go Musatelli, Lapidat, and then start with Zemmel, but it could be Zemmel, could be Mercer. I think those are the two most likely uh, doubles for sure. Uh, Mercer and Lapidat have to play together. They lost one match the entire fall, and it was the second round at fall match. I mean, that was the first doubles match they'd lost the entire fall and that included like a run i i mean i will give you 
it's not the most stacked regional in the world, sure. but they ran the table like six six wins at regionals. Uh, you know, they played like a U of L invite and they win there. They went two and zero down at the Knoxville showdown with with teams like uh, you know Tennessee and Columbia down there. Mm-hmm. Um, so some some good matches for them, and they lose one match. So that that's a given. Um, yeah, I don't know. You had Draxel and Hurry on together last year, as you said, man. That's that's just a that's a ton of testosterone on one court. Uh, I mean, uh, they were pretty good though. Know, they yeah. were, they were. I'm not, sh- I'm not so sure that I would break them up because they've got a year under their belts. They, they played well, and so maybe, maybe then the question is just who come, who slides in with Diallo? He's clearly playing doubles, uh, and, and and who is it? Um, so, you know, it. I, I don't know. You know, you could. I think that's that's the that's the trick question. I I, I think we'll have to just wait and see who who it is. But I, I, I mean, kind of like. It could be Musatelli. I mean, it, I I think that's the most obvious choice is Musatelli. Uh, unless one of you know, unless one of the other guys just just well, proves again, to be. What if you just that. throw Diallo LeBlanc two six five plus servers at three doubles, and you're like, break us, well, we dare you. Yeah, that that that's the only reason that I, that I hesitate because that's, uh, I mean, I mean, because can you I, get away with Diallo at three doubles this year? That's the other question. And like, because if you're Coach Kaufman, given their success in the fall, you could probably sneak Lapidot Mercer at one. That means just right away you have three of Draxel, Hurriana, and Diallo to play the two and three doubles positions. Like, don't you like your chances there? Or do you just say, hey, we're throwing Diallo Draxel at one, take the best of us there, and we feel like we have the best two players on the court. You know, again, Lapidon and Mercer are just better at doubles than your teams are better at doubles. And it, we'll figure it out with Hurrion at three. You can get, there's no doubt you can get away with it because it happens a lot. I mean, if you have to take, you know, a guy that's, you know, it's, and it'd be a, actually it'd be a tough argument to say he's their best doubles player. He's not their best doubles player. He's their biggest server. Sure. Uh, but you can take you can take your best doubles player. We've seen it multiple times and throw him with the newcomer or somebody that you're trying to mentor, and they des- and they can deserve to be playing at three. Robert Loeb ended up going to play three doubles after Zelensky leaves, and they were the number one doubles team in the nation. Right? I mean that can happen so you can easily play diallo at three dubs and put him with somebody that they're trying you know trying to get up to that level so mm-hmm. uh, yeah i that's that was my thought is that's and that's the kind of the guy i was thinking is what if they want to throw leblanc in there i don't you know it's a possibility yeah no maddie final words on the doubles on the lineup to you no i i don't know guys i think it's going to be a little bit of a mystery. I'm interested to see what they do. Obviously, you know, the, the tandem that we just talked about, um, you know, will will be somewhere. I don't know if they're going to play one Gruskin, and mm-hmm. I'm talking about Mercer and Lapidot. Like, I know they've had great results, but I, I don't – I don't I mean – I don't think they put them at one. I'd be way more inclined to put them at two or three for sure. Yeah. Um, you know, and then I, I still kind of like the combo of Draxel and Hurrian. I watched him play last year, and I was I was pretty impressed. So to me, those are two teams right there that I I like. And then you know we know that Diallo is going to be good. I mean, it's just you got to find him a partner. So if I was Coach Kaufman, that's what I'd be working on every day. Is hey, let's play some different guys with with Diallo. Let's see who he has chemistry with, and then hopefully you know they can find the the last pair there. I think you talked. Yeah, they've been it. playing Diallo and Musatelli. 
right? Mm-hmm. They played fall mats together. Okay. So I, I mean, I think they very well, I mean, it, it might be a likely lineup to start Diallo and Musatelli at one, uh, you know, Mercer and uh, Lapidot, Mercer yeah. and Lapidot at two, and then play Draxel and Hurion at three. I mean, you've got to really I mean, like that's... two and three there. Yeah. And yep. again, this gets us to the new segment we're bringing in. I'm throwing in a hot take at you guys in every pod, and it's just about likely outcomes for the season. And it kind of segues us into uh, our predictions for the year and where we see them in the conference, where we see them nationally. But again, more likely scenario, and I'll start with you here, Chris, that this team finishes outside the top 25 of the rankings or that everything clicks for this team and they end up SEC champions. There's zero chance that either happens. <laughs> I mean, but but if you make me pick the more likely, all right. How about unseated at the NCAA tournament? Unseated at the NCAA tournament. Unseated, like not a top sixteen, top. not top um, sixteen. Okay, not now. It's called to say the, of the other scenario. The more likely is that they win the SEC. I mean, anything can happen, right? I mean, the problem is you got Florida, Tennessee, both, and you probably need an injury somewhere for that to happen, but. Or you need, you know, Vale not to come back and 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 Walton to be hurt, but which is possible. So that that's high, highly more likely. But yeah, outside the top sixteen, man, I think that's really really tough. I still think it's probably more likely that they would win. I think it'd be tough to see them outside, uh, barring an injury. An injury yeah. would really hurt this team. I mean, like I said, they they have a lot can of I, guys. Can I, can I a top three injury? Not an injury, a top three injury. Yeah, a top three, exactly. Yeah. yeah, they have a lot of guys that they can fill in that four, five, six mix. But if they lose one of those top three, it it brings you know it it brings a whole nother level to them having to step up. And that would for sure, I would I would automatic I would already say if they lose one of their top three, I'm taking them out of that conversation and putting them down to man, they're going to have to battle to try to be a top sixteen now. But otherwise, I think they are. A, I mean, I think they're a lock with if they stay healthy to be a top 16 we went through our you know our top 10 and then all our honorable mentions and to think that i'd have to have six more in there and put them all above kentucky I, it's hard pressed i mean we had about five or six teams that we were talking about there but mm-hmm. yeah that'd be that would be really rough i think they're it, it's gonna be hard to see them outside of that same question to you maddie what was the question? <laughs> That's good. That's how you know we're hitting the home stretch here. Uh, more likely they win the conference or that they finish outside the top 16. I would say more likely that they finish outside the top 16 than win the SEC. I I, I, I don't believe, guys, even barring health. Let's say they stay healthy. I guess they could win the SEC if the other teams get injured. Beat, or beat up on each other, and it's like, you've beaten us, we've beaten you, and and we lost to Kentucky too. Shoot. But I've got to look at this realistically, and, and my head is saying it would be more possible for them to finish outside of the top 16 than to win the Southeastern Conference. That's where I stand you, on that. Yeah, when you say conference, you mean the tournament or the regular season? Both, and uh, I mean the regular season more so than the conference. And the reason why, here's the kicker. Georgia, Tennessee, Florida, all home matches this year. That matters. For this team to get them at home, I'm not saying they're going to be the favorites entering that match, but if you're going to clip them, get them at home. And, like, this team was 16-1 yeah. and one at home. 
Yeah, well, it, it's, I mean, look, most of the year here in Kentucky, they're going to play indoors. Mm -hmm. I, you know, in, unless you, until you get late in the year, it's a lot of indoor tennis here. So, you know, not necessarily the best, this Florida team probably more suited for it than maybe years past, but uh, now Tennessee obviously is an indoor, indoor team, uh, but uh, you know, Georgia traditionally not necessarily the best indoor team, even though they've got some indoor courts, Florida, not traditionally the best indoor team. Yeah. I mean, I would go with it. I still think, yeah, I, I still think just because there are two heavy favorites up there and to get by both of them is tough that it's probably, you know, probably more likely. And if you're saying, well, for that to happen, maybe somebody's got to get hurt. Well, if somebody's got to get hurt on two teams, it's more likely that somebody gets hurt on one, which is them. Uh, and they finish outside the top 16. But but yeah, I think it's it's highly unlikely that either happens. For the record, that math is why we call him the professor, folks. Uh, right there. You see that? That's just yeah. that's brilliant thinking there from Chris. But with that said, uh, I'm going to reverse order here. I want to start with you, Chris, because I, I apologize, Manny, but I just I want to direct some things his way, and this is his conference. Give me the outlook. I, know, I don't think we have the formal full schedule yet from Kentucky release. Maybe it is, and I'm wrong here, but I don't think it has been. Uh, but to you, Chris, conference outlook for these cats, schedule, national indoor prediction. Where do you have Kentucky finishing this year? Yeah, they're not. They don't have their schedule posted. Meant some of the other SEC schools do, so I'm not sure where they don't have theirs. Maybe they just don't have the non. I know Ohio State's back on the schedule for whatever it's worth this year. I know that's a trip. I know. I know he's getting out and about. But but I think you know. Yeah, I. <clears throat> I think clearly we've got everybody obviously is going to have Florida, Tennessee as the top two teams. And then we all kind of viewed that next group being Kentucky, South Carolina, Georgia, right? I mean, that's a really, uh, (laughs) that's a really tight group right there uh, in in those three teams. And then probably, you know, a, a little drop after that. So, you know who's gonna who's gonna step out of that group i think for them to finish below five would be a huge disappointment uh to finish above three in other words to crack the top two i think we would view as a, a big achievement you know if they could somehow get around either florida or tennessee um you know which which may mean they just need to beat one of them if they run the table against everybody else but i mean that's gonna that's not gonna be any an easy feat this year so so yeah i think you know, coming into the season, you and you probably don't put them third in that group. So you probably, you know, and well, it'll be interesting. They do a coaches poll every year. I don't know that that's out yet. I haven't seen it. It'll be interesting to see where they fit. But I would say that they're that you know, my guess is they'll be probably fourth in the preseason coaches poll. But I would say in that three four range, and that's kind of what you what you expect out of them. Uh, but I, you know, frankly, I think this is kind of the year for them where I expect more. So I expect them to make that push. If it's going to happen for them, uh, you know, and, and for Cedric, this is this is the team that, that he's got to do it with, uh, you know. And yes, Draxel loves college tennis. Does that guarantee you he's coming back again the next year? I don't know, you know. It, uh, to some extent, that all depends on how these guys do uh, – in the in the pro tournaments they play if he goes out and plays a few challengers and some futures and racks up a bunch of points it might make sense to leave but uh but yeah i i would say i i, I would say you know a three four sec slot is the most likely position for them 
definitely a top 16. The real question is, can they battle that? Can they battle for a top eight? You know, because that we should be back to that this year where the the third round is the super regional and the top eight hosts the next eight and you and they for sure want to be that team hosting so can they make that can they hit that number eight spot big difference between finishing eighth and ninth absolutely and you know again maddie same question to you and for listeners you can read more on maddie's thoughts on our website crackedrackets.com give us the take yeah no i i I like what Chris just said there. I mean, to me, I project Kentucky finish. You know, when it comes to the SEC, they're going to win some matches. They're going to lose some matches, right? That's just the nature of the conference. There are no easy matches um, within the Southeastern Conference. I think, you know, third or fourth, um, top four spot in the SEC is very realistic and attainable for these guys, and I think they can do it. Um on a national scale though like you know what chris said i I am not ready i'm not going to put them in my top eight i'm not going to do it gruskin i I just to me there are there are eight other teams in my head maybe even more than eight maybe nine or or ten other teams in my head that i would be more comfortable saying okay i i like these guys in the quarterfinals i think they're a lot for the round of 16 which is what chris said so i'm with him on that and then Look, if they get hot, if everybody stays healthy, there is a chance that they could roll and make the top eight. That That is a possibility because they've got the guys to do it, but things will have to kind of break the right way. And I'm just, I'm not ready to, to say that I'm counting on that yet. So I view them as a round of 16 team, um, you know, losing one round further than they did last year which they dropped in the second round to Arizona so I think they make it a step further make that final 16 but I do think one of those other eight teams you know will clip them yeah no my my hope is that we get an Arizona Kentucky rematch because those are two feisty teams with some animosity brewing from last year's results boy would that be an exciting one uh, as a round of 16 match. Oh, here's my thing. Yeah, very very oh, possible that that could be like an 8-9, you know, Absolutely. or a 7-10. You know, an 8-9, 7-10, as we look at it from a preseason standpoint, that's a possibility. Neither one of these those two teams should finish outside the top 16, so they sh- they shouldn't have to meet in the in the first two rounds this year, but it could be that super regional match at one of the other, uh, one of the team sites. Yeah. I think I have seven locks. Like I have our top seven Cracked Rackets preseason poll are my seven quarterfinalists. That eighth spot is a rat race because I do think there's a drop off between seven and eight. And I think eight is very good and we'll get there. I'm not going to give the team away, but eight is not definitively better than nine. And eight is not definitively better than this Kentucky team at 10 or the Wick Forest and Michigan's and Illinois of the world that we've discussed. Make your pick. Man. Are, are you putting are, are you putting them in that last eighth spot? Let's hear it. The problem is if I do this now, then I can't adjust later. I mean, I want to say Michigan just to really piss you guys off. But I'm staring at your top ten from our vote, and it, so I already you you have to stick to that, don't you? Well, you know who my litmus. Te- well, you know what? I'm gonna do it. Give me Kentucky at eight, and I'm sorry. Wow! To, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do it. I'm Chris, not. I'm not. Chris, gonna, 
this is episode one and we're already starting with this. Already. Yep. There's already 37 teams in the quarterfinals. <laughs> this is my one plus, and I think playing in the SEC gives them the eighth seed, which ultimately gives them that final benefit. My top seven in the rankings, and we all have the same top seven schools, are my first seven locks to the both of you. And I'm not telling the listeners who those are yet, but those are my we first seven locks. We did not all have the same top seven. I'll give you that. We had the same have- top eight. Oh, oh yeah, you're right. Um, but I, but you guys had to sell me on eight for those that for in case you guys forget the conversation, we'll get there to number yeah. eight. By the way, yeah, yeah. But I don't think eight is definitively better than this Kentucky team. Okay, so but so what you're saying then is you're confident that they are. You're saying Kentucky's better. That's what you're saying. You're saying even though you're not saying the number eight way. team is definitively better than Kentucky. You're saying okay, I think Kentucky should be. Well, that's because you guys made very good arguments in the moment about the number eight team, and I was like, you know what? You're right. I'm wrong on this one. But I'm, but I'm back. What? I'm back. <laughs> you're Gruskin, wrong. Gruskin, I'm right. Gruskin's argument could be that he voted that number eight team number eight for now preseason, but he thinks by the end of the year yes. that Kentucky will be there. Which okay. I'll makes let you no have sense that argument. Matt and I makes, will just disagree. Yeah, but it also makes no sense given the composition of the number eight team that I would think this team has higher upside in May than that number eight team, which is a little bit younger, I would say, on average. I just, the gaps make sense. I see five guys who can play four through six and play pretty well. I see pieces there. We didn't have doubles pieces last year. We have doubles pieces this year. And we said it during this podcast, and I promise this is where we're ending, Maddie, because I know we've gone way over time here. If they win doubles, how do you find four against this team? That is quite the question, because you're not taking two out of the top three unless you're a Florida, unless you're a Tennessee, unless you are one of the best of the best. I just think this team is going to be a tough out, and if they figure out doubles, then they are going to make the quarterfinals. And I think they figure out doubles because I know how good of a coach, you know, Peter Cobalt, Matt Gordon, and, of course, head coach Cedric Kaufman are. So I'm going to go Kentucky quarterfinals. Pencil me in now. The only other team I reserve the right to have jump them is Michigan. Is that fair? Can I have Michigan jump them? Can I just put a little asterisk next to Michigan? No. (laughs) No. All right, that's fair. I'm just Uh, telling you, man, Kentucky, for me— and you know we've all been watching them for years they just they've they've kind of let me down you sure. know what i mean like we talked about them yeah. underachieving you know i just that sticks with me and i feel like when we get down to the end of the season and all the chips are out on the table right and this is crunch time you have to step up and do it i am not confident enough sitting here today to put them in that position maybe they get there i, I it is possible but I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna pick it. Chris, final word goes to you. You're SEC correspondent. Yeah, I'm not. I, I'm noting our quarterfinalists just to make sure Justin doesn't count more than eight. So I've already got hey, it man. in our doc in our document with our rankings. But no, I'm not gonna take them there. Um, and really, more on the on the strength of the bottom of the lineup. I'm with you at the top. Their top's gonna match up with with anybody. But I think when they get to that to those elite levels any of those it's going to be really tough for them to beat those teams at at four through six and at the same time it's no longer going to be when they're playing a top eight that you ex you you absolutely 100 percent fundamentally expect that they win at least two out of three in the top three it's going to be more like hey we probably expect there's going to be we're going to win one lose one and the other one is you know who knows now we could actually lose two of the top three 
to these top eight teams. And then so, you're screwed. Yeah, so then I then it's tough. So I think, yeah, doubles, to your point, doubles will be huge. I'm I'm not going to take them in the quarterfinals just because I think some of those other teams in the top eight are, are deeper, especially it's that number six spot. I'll always go back to it. You're as good as your number six player. Their number six player is not at the same level as the t- number six player on, on the teams in the top eight right now. Does that mean it can't change? No, absolutely it could change. But right now, it's it's not there. First of all, to you guys monitoring my picks this closely, I have to say, f*** you. That's all I have to say on that. Um, <laughs> that's part one. Part two, it's fair. I like Everything you guys say hold merits. This was – you want to know why we went two hours in our preseason rankings? It was this conversation yeah. over and over again. And then we introduced Georgia and South Carolina and you're just yeah, like – and oh, for people – yeah, for people that think we're bashing Kentucky right now, look, this is what got Kentucky into the into our top ten. <laughs> exactly. It was this right. We right. left Georgia out. We left South Carolina out. We put Kentucky in because of this. So it's not that we're bashing. It's just that hey, for Maddie and I, at least these are the reasons we're not giving them a quarterfinal spot, which is a top eight, but we right. have them in the top ten. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. So then with all of that said, again, our number 10 preseason men's team, the Kentucky Wildcats, of course, you know, something that's really cool this season. I think we can announce this now if we can. I apologize, USDA, although I think we might sneak it in here to hour 11 of the show. You guys are both going to be sharing a vote this year in the USDA yeah. voter poll. How cool is that? And obviously, you know, again, cracked ro- the Cracked Rackets poll is having influence. We're doing it, guys. <laughs> yep. It's, it's going to be fun, man. Yeah, no, super excited. So, again, you're going to hear us flush out those every week. And, yeah, now that conversation at the end of the podcast actually matters a little bit more. Like I always submitted last year, I, you guys knew this, our top ten was my top ten for the USTA poll. Now we're actually going to get to be creative and have some differences and see how that reflects. That's super exciting as well. And, again, we're thrilled to count down the rest of our top 10 teams. It's only going to get better from here, folks. And I'm telling you, you think the arguments were big in this podcast? Wait till we try and figure out who's number three. Or wait till we try and figure out who's number five. Where it's just like, or oh, God forbid, number one. Ugh, fun you know, just, off season ahead. Just, just a tease, Alex. Not a single spot in the top 10 did the three of us actually agree on what team was in that position. So, yeah, there were arguments everywhere. We didn't even all three agree on number one, number, you know, none of them. There wasn't a, there was not a unanimous team in any position. The best part of number one was when you said, well, I thought you were going to do this. So I did this. (laughs) And I said, well, I knew you thought I thought I was going to do this. So I did this. And then it was just, we were off. It was great. And so, yeah, again, we look forward to sharing all, all of those thoughts with all of you listeners over the course of the next 10 weeks. Of course, again, if you miss any of our content, Maddie's article, CrackedRackets.com, interview with head coach Cedric Kaufman, Cracked Interviews podcast, and of course, corresponding women's podcasts all available on Tuesday as well. Of course, if you need the more media updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, we are at Cracked Rackets. You want to message me directly, I am at Great Shot Pod. A shout out as always to our super producers, Max Fleeter and Daniel Westoff, who sincerely of an editing job to do. Imagine editing all of those Power Five voices and uh, interviews and hearing this over and over again. That's what super producer Daniel Westoff's grinding out. So shout out to him. But with all of that said, I think we've gotten in the final words. And Maddie's face says, I am ready to rock and roll. So for the first time of the College Contender Series, for my co-hosts, Matt the Cracks, Koyak, Chris Heliors, our super producers, Fliegner and Westoff, and all of us here 
at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. And by the way, guys, I promise we'll have a sponsor moving forward. But for now, what do we tell our listeners? Hey. Hey. Great shot. Great shot. I love it. We are back, folks, and we will see you all next week. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.